Simelang Avusheni and hello hi Mzanzi. Nolu Tandungakani here and welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no holds barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Health for Mzanzi. I'm here to walk with you on your health journey as you seek the answers to those weird lumps and pussy bumps you are too scared to speak about in public. A diabetes diagnosis can be a life-altering event. Whether it be type 1 diabetes where the body does not make any insulin at all or type 2 diabetes when the pancreas makes some insulin but not enough, it can mean changes to your lifestyle that you may not be ready for and can also be hard on relationships with friends or family. This week, a friend in crisis from Kimberley sent us this voice note. Just got diagnosed last Thursday after having constant thirst and losing about 18 kilograms in two months. And it wasn't exactly a heavyweight to begin with. I need help. Anonza, this week we are joined by Dr. Angela Murphy from the Sunward Medical Center in Boxburg. She helps us unpack mental health in diabetes diagnosis and management of the disease. A specialist physician, Dr. Murphy practices exclusively in the field of endocrinology with the Diabetes Clinic and Obesity Clinic being her two main areas of focus. Dr. Murphy is committed to treatments aimed at not only reducing risks of complications, but also improving quality of life. In 2005, managing diabetes became more personal when Dr. Murphy's own daughter, then two years old, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Dr. Murphy is also considered a key opinion leader in diabetes and obesity, and is extensively involved in education and training in these fields. Dr. Murphy, what risks should people generally be aware of, despite gender, actually, no matter if you're male or female, what should you be looking out for as warning signs for diabetes? There is a classical triad of losing weight, which is what the lady complained of, increased thirst, and increased going to the toilet to pass urine. And this is really because the blood sugar levels getting so high that the sugar gets stuck in the bloodstream. The body has to break down fat and muscle to get nutrients. And that's where the weight loss comes from. And then all that sugar that's spilling over into the urine actually pulls fluid out of the body. And that's where the thirst and the increased urination comes from. So that would be a classic presentation with really high blood sugar. And patients with type 1 diabetes, I think it's a good time to perhaps differentiate the two. Type 1 diabetes is a condition where the body has been attacked by itself. This is the autoimmune condition. The body has now destroyed the pancreas. And from the word go, this patient is going to need insulin therapy. That is usually that type of very obvious presentation. Type 2 diabetes can smolder and linger. And you've mentioned prediabetes for many years. We believe up to 10 years. Therefore, there may not be those classic symptoms of weight loss and increased thirst and urination, but rather just generalized fatigue. Perhaps patients sometimes can already present with evidence of complications and the most common being pains in the feet, hot feet, pins and needles in the feet. That would definitely be something to alert you. And then any visual changes, anything that you feel there's blurring of the vision. So those could be early warning signs to have your sugar tested. Diabetes can be very hereditary. There is a, a huge genetic component. 
something to also bear in mind that if you've got a family history of diabetes, yes, even if you haven't got it at that point and you've no warning signs, it's still worthwhile looking towards trying to prevent it in your own life. What are the risks if diabetes is then left untreated? We divide those complications up into where we say there's damage to small blood vessels and large blood vessels. And the reason I'm jumping from the idea of sugar diabetes to blood vessels is the fact that that sugar that is not being used properly in the body gets stuck in the blood vessel. And that's where it causes the primary damage. It's almost like if you imagine it's a sticky substance, it causes clotting and clogging. And if it's the small blood vessels, the three areas we're concerned about are the eyes, the kidneys, and the nerves in the feet. And that's where we can get diseases of those organs. The large blood vessels, now we're concerned about the brain, so stroke, the heart, heart attack, and then the big blood vessels that again go into the feet. The blood flow to the legs can become compromised. So the feet, you can see, are compromised both for small and large blood vessels, and that's why diabetic foot care is so important. So those are the summary of the main diseases, but that can also affect muscles. It can unfortunately affect, in men, erectile function. It can affect the workings of the stomach, so we don't get regular, it can either be the stomach goes too little or too much. So poor control can actually affect a whole host of things. But most patients who live with poorly controlled diabetes over many years, the biggest risk they have is having heart attacks and strokes. And that's important that we address that. People, when they think of diabetes, they just think of the feet and the toes and that kind of thing, but like it's got domino effect on your entire yeah. health. And- Absolutely. And because of that effect in the blood vessels, we also have to look at sugar's conspiracy friends. I call them the three musketeers. So sugar doesn't work alone to cause the damage. It works alongside hypertension, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. So it's incredibly important in the person with type 2 diabetes that those two aspects are looked at as well. Some patients truly don't have a high blood pressure and some may even have a a low cholesterol, but most people will have all three of those conditions treated. And if we're going to treat them, we need to treat them into the glucose ranges where we have shown that risk of complications is reduced. Otherwise, we're not being able to guarantee the person you're not going to have one of those complications. So it's all about trying at all points to get to those targets, following up, Obviously, we're humans, we're not going to get it perfect all the time. So it's about troubleshooting, okay, where are we going wrong? What can we improve at this point? That's what ongoing management and follow-up does for a person. So I wanted us to also talk about the psychological aspects when it comes to coming to terms with your diabetes diagnosis. People immediately think when they're diagnosed, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my toes. They even start thinking that they've been diagnosed pre-diabetic. How does diabetes affect the patient psychologically as well? It really does affect people psychologically. There's very few people that are going to be untouched by getting this diagnosis. And I do say to patients who've been newly diagnosed, how do you feel? Did you get a shock? And some people have been suspecting it and are less shocked and therefore more likely to be able to absorb the information. But when it's quite catastrophic, particularly with type 1 diabetes, you go from not having anything wrong with you to injecting yourself three times, four times a day. It does take a toll. So the psychological aspect can be divided into the burden of managing diabetes constantly, and it just never goes away. You don't get a holiday. You can't wake up one day and say, I won't think about my diabetes today. People obviously go through phases where that happens, but that's not good for their sugar control. 
So that burden of management has to be sort of appreciated. And I think as healthcare providers, we need to appreciate that sometimes a person is not ready to have all the list of instructions today. They just need a little bit of TLC. But unfortunately, those high sugars also have direct impact in the brain. And we know that there is an increased risk for mood disorders, for depression and anxiety in the person with diabetes. You have to have a low threshold for listening to cues, asking patients about how they feel, are they coping with normal daily life, and have a low threshold to refer to our colleagues, the psychologists, or to offer treatment. In my case, I can offer medication if I think the patient is depressed, and not put that on the back burner. I've certainly had patients in my office where I realized that the whole problem that's going on is the person is not coping. So instead of talking about medicines and the dose of their medicines for their sugar, we rather sort out that first. And once they're in a better space, things will be much easier to handle. And it really is a is something very, very significant to manage psychological well-being in the person with diabetes. I've been having a lot of conversations about weight loss in these health journeys with a couple of dietitians who tell me that a whole wellness journey is more in the head as well more than it is in actually doing the things like eating right and stuff it takes a lot of effort <laughs> mentally yes. to make the changes sometimes we go through phases where we're really enthusiastic and we're full of energy to do it and other times stress of life or something's happened you don't have to have and I think that that's fine it's my job to always encourage a person back into the good habits again but you know it is a lot of effort no question there was a study that was recently announced by Provage who said that plant-based diets could possibly prevent diabetes. Can plant-based diets possibly prevent diabetes? They certainly have a role to play. There's no question that the higher meat-based diets are more likely to produce oxidants, more likely to cause damage, produce their increased insulin resistance, all the things that can predispose to diabetes. In addition, if we look purely at calories, on the whole, plant-based diets are going to be lower in calorie, what we call less calorie-dense food. So gram for gram of actual food, you're going to have less calories in a plant-based diet. There's actually quite a lot of evidence saying that you get better glucose control. And there is some studies, like you say, showing that people on plant-based diets are less likely to develop diabetes in the first place. I'm really excited about that move. My own daughter with type 1 diabetes is vegetarian now and certainly embraces that a lot. What we have to be careful, though, is that we don't replace meat with processed non-meat products. It's often the processed food itself that can have substances in it that are not healthy, preservatives, etc. That's something to be wary of. And then also, if the person is still vegetarian, it's no good replacing all the meat with lots and lots of high-fat cheese. You know, So we've got to get a balance as well. A vegan diet, by definition, is going to be healthier because you're going to be choosing lots of legumes, which are incredibly healthy in terms of a low-fat source of protein and lots of fiber. And really, it's that presence of fiber and lean protein that makes all the difference in terms of diabetes control. There's been, obviously, in the last few years, we've all got very excited, for well, some of us, about the keto diet. And everybody was, keto diet, no carbohydrates, only proteins, going to take away the problem with sugar. But the problem is eventually that high animal fat diet does start causing problems. And one of the first things we see is that increase in, in cholesterol, and then eventually the insulin resistance, because it's not a lean protein diet. I think the plant base is in my opinion, probably a much 
more balanced way to go. With keto, obviously, they've made us now not drink the low-fat milks anymore because they say that's got more sugar content in it. And now we're drinking high-fat milk, which is now also causing another knock-on effect. Well, we don't have to worry too much about milk because the difference between low-fat and normal-fat milk is only about 1% to 1.5% fat. It's more a case of keto was promoting cream, which is 60% fat sometimes, and butter, which is 80% fat. Milk gets bad press. It's not the worst thing in the world. But I think overall animal products, we've got to keep to a minimum, be it even dairy and meat. We've got to go back to looking at what our ancestors ate, which were things that would be growing out of the ground. And that's probably what our bodies need. So what are some steps you can take then to manage your diabetes if you've been diagnosed recently? The first thing is diagnosis. You will need some medication. Obviously, type 1 patients have to go into insulin. But a person presenting with type 2 diabetes and perhaps the sugar is not too high, the diagnosis of diabetes is made and the fasting blood glucose is 7 or above. So if you present with a sugar of 7.5 or 8, we're going to make that diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. But at that point, we would put you onto a tablet called metformin. It comes with lots of brand names, glucophage being one of the most familiar. And that is standard. It's accepted worldwide. We don't have a period of non-drug treatment if the diagnosis is already made. In the pre-diabetes phase, you can have periods of non-drug treatment. But once diabetes is diagnosed, at least you'll be put onto glucophage metformin with lifestyle modification. And that's got to be tailored for the person. But overall, we want to try and see that weight in a near normal range and that there's physical activity. And the newest guidelines that have come out of America and, and Europe have actually looked at the fact that physical activity must in, you know, include the two aspects of an active day. So those of us sitting at our desk all day should be encouraged to get up and down, use stairs instead of lifts. So the day must be active, but it must be plus regular recreational physical activity. So I encourage patients to think about doing the park walk, park run once a week, find a some sort of activity that you can do even once a week that's not just about your active day, but it is recreational because you get almost different benefits from putting the tackies on and going out to do something. We have to encourage patients to stop smoking. And I think, you know, if possible, it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing is address stress and see what we can do to support patients. So medication and lifestyle. And then the medication will have to be titrated, increased according to the person's response. And that is a two-way. If there's a time where somebody's sugar control is getting worse and we're increasing medication, so be it. And then suddenly they might you know, choose um, a different way of life or they might get a different job. Their lifestyle becomes better. One can decrease medication again. Patients must never be scared about that, that, oh, my goodness, it's, I'm never going to get better. However, diabetes is a, a condition that does want to progress. So despite your best efforts, you may find that the sugars do have to be treated with more medication. The good news is, though, diabetes attracts a lot of research. And so we have new and innovative medications becoming more and more available. Medications that have different ways of acting to lower blood glucose. They give added benefit from the word go to protecting kidneys, protecting the heart, protecting these organs that can have complications. So there's no question that we can offer the patients a lot. And there's a lot of information that needs to be absorbed. So by and large, encourage people to try and learn more about diabetes in our center. We have our diabetic nurse educator who can spend time doing that with patients. 
I would encourage patients to look for sites such as Diabetes South Africa, and Diabetes South Africa produces a monthly online magazine called Diabetes Focus, which has lots of interesting articles. Then there are patient forums such as Sweet Life South Africa. So there are forums there to help with education because knowledge is power. And in diabetes, knowledge is definitely power. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Dr. Murphy. Now remember, dear friends, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. Alternatively, you can hit us up on WhatsApp on 076-132-0454. I would never blue tick you, babes. Although there is no cure for diabetes, it can be controlled with changes in lifestyle and treatment. Diabetes is a complicated condition. Like Dr. Murphy said, it is important for people with diabetes to be diagnosed and treated as soon as possible, as high blood sugar levels can damage body organs and tissue, resulting in complications such as nerve damage, kidney damage, heart attacks, strokes, cataracts, and loss of vision, among others. And on a heavy note, that brings us to the end of episode 64 of Sisters Without Shame. Proudly brought to you by Health from Zanzi. For me, Lulu Nakani, have a great week. And remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. <laughs>